Hey, hey, hey. Welcome back to Musings of a Black Bipolar Activist. This is Lucy. Um, and I'm going to talk a little bit about myself um, today. Um, I realized that I have done this podcast and had about eight episodes. And I haven't really told my story of how I became the Black Bipolar Activist. So here we go. Uh, I'm going to try to keep this uh, under 25 minutes which is usually about the um, time I usually talk. Um, but so much of my life has been hard and challenging, um, but I have persevered and I'm here. Um, and um, God is good. Uh, and those who don't believe in God, um, life, is, life is hard, um, but... You know, something sometimes higher powers or whatever you believe in really pull you through. Faith um, is not just a Christian ideal, but faith is an ideal that I think a lot of people have, um, like faith that something will happen. Okay, so my name is Lucy Brown. I don't know if I've said my last name either, but my name is Lucy Brown. I am currently 34 years old. Um, although a lot of people say I look like I'm 15, so there's that, uh, keep the, keep the face young and beautiful. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I'm 34 and I currently live in Kansas city, Missouri, although I grew up in California, uh, spent most of my life in California. Um, I spent three years in Arkansas when I moved to, when I moved there, with my mom and siblings when my parents separated. Uh, I moved to Arkansas and uh, my grandparents were there uh, who I really consider a second set of parents. Um, they are no longer with us, but uh, their uh, mark on my life has been um, very um, profound. So um, I was a quiet child um, and a obedient child. And, um, I had two parents, um, uh, that should not have been together. Um, and, uh, I think two people who should not be together and then they have kids is best to separate as soon as you can. Um, and I know that that's not, the so-called biblical thing to say like up oh, don't get divorced you know when two people come together they work it out uh I don't I'm not of that mind if you realize that you were not meant to be together get out especially if you have kids uh because it's very damaging to the kids um it's very damaging it was certainly very damaging to me and my siblings um and uh it has definitely made a mark on my life. Um, so I have a mother who is who has borderline personality disorder. Um, for those who don't know what borderline personality disorder is, it is a mental disorder that cannot be treated with medicine. Um, it can only be treated with therapy. Um, a lot of people who have borderline personality disorder deny that they have borderline personality disorder. Um, that uh, I think the big 
like borderline personality disorder in a nutshell is basically the ideal of I hate you don't leave me um and uh that's certainly what I felt from my mom growing up uh that she didn't like me very much um and I would do things to try to please her um and they did not always work out. I'm going to say like 95% of the time they didn't work out. And I felt very unloved by my mom uh, and very abandoned by my mom. Um, my dad, on the other hand, uh, is a very chill, laid back guy. Um, he's kind of aloof at times um, and oblivious to what's going on around him. Um, and so when you put together those two personality types, uh, it's a recipe for disaster. So I was born in Elgin, Illinois, and we moved to California when I was three years old. I uh, went to preschool at Head Start. I currently work at, a, at Head Start, so shout out to Head Start. It's a great program. Um, and uh, I can, for as far as I can remember, I was... I had a sense of sadness and heaviness to me. Um, that's not to say I didn't have great times because I certainly had great times, but I also had like a sense of sadness and heaviness to on me. Um, and most of that was because of my mom. Um, I was a very withdrawn child. Uh, I think I may have mentioned that, but uh, I didn't want to be seen. Um, that's something I'm still working on, on wanting to be seen. Um, and so, um, when I was seven, I believe it was six or seven, um, I think I, I had gotten to an end point where I was tired of not being loved. Uh, I was tired of not being seen for who I was. Um, and I attempted to commit suicide. That is a very young age to do that. Um, I had taken a like strong kitchen knife and like uh, stuck it in my stomach. Uh, it hurt. <laughs> and so um, I didn't like fully push it in only the tip. Uh, but I realized that hurt and it did. I didn't like it. And uh, I, I realized that I should have not done that. And um, I never told anyone in my family about it. Um, people in my family know about it now, but I never told anyone in my family about it at that time. Um, and I just remember like sobbing and not just from the pain of the knife, but just sobbing because I felt like I had no way out. Um, and, uh, uh, I just, I felt very, very unloved. And for a child to feel unloved is the worst feeling in the world. Um, and to make a child feel unloved is the worst thing you can do. Um, children are innocent and um, they deserve care uh, and they deserve loving care. Um, and uh, they deserve to not be neglected. So, sorry. Um, so growing up, uh, after that, uh, I kind of put the thought of suicide away. 
Um, at the time, I didn't think about it as suicide. It was just something I thought would um, stop me from living, if that makes sense. Like when you're when you're six or seven, you don't have a word for a suicide. Um, it's just something that you're like, I don't want to live anymore. I'm going to do something about it. Um, so that was my first suicide attempt. Uh, and then uh, growing up, um, it it only progressively got worse for me. Um, however, there were times where I was like, my body was buzzing and I felt like, like a rocket had been shot up into my body and I was restless. Um, and there I had insomnia for years. Well, not for years, but there, certainly when I was younger, um, I have insomnia now. Uh, which is a big part of being bipolar um, is when your your mind's racing, you can't go to sleep. Um, you know, like you feel up pacing the pacing the floor and all that kind of stuff. I did that when I was um, young, like eleven and twelve. Um, and uh, my mom took me to my pediatrician. He was like, "Up, oh, she's drinking too much tea." Um, and, you know, she stopped drinking tea. It was brisk, so I don't know if it was caffeinated. But, um, you know, if she stops drinking tea before bed, then she'll sleep. Um, so I did that, did not sleep. But I learned to be quiet in my room. Um, I shared a room with my sister. Um, and my sister was a parentified child, uh, which basically means that a child who takes care of the rest of the siblings in a parent role, like gets the children together for breakfast, um, like, yeah, get meals together, um, get them ready for school, stuff like that. Uh, and so uh, I'm very grateful for my sister. Uh, I love her. She's one of my greatest friends. Uh, but we were not close growing up. And the reason we were not close is because she resented having to be the parent in our house. And uh, this is this stuff she told me years later, but she resented having to be the parent in the house. And so when we shared a room, um, I felt even more neglected and abused because she didn't talk to me. Um, she... Uh, she, she, she was nice at times, um, but like we shared a bunk bed, which is a recipe for disaster because, um, our bunk, our bunk bed creaked and, um, every time I moved, like the, the bed would creak and sometimes I'm a restless sleeper and she, she's a very, very light sleeper. Uh, so you can imagine that was a recipe for disaster. Um. And one time she climbed off the, off the top of the bed and like punched me so hard in my back to get me to sit still. Um, and like, I just like held in a sob because I knew if I cried, I, she might hit me again. Um, but it's, it's like one of those memories that I will never, ever forget. Um, I'm over it, obviously, um, because I'm great with my sister now, but I remember feeling like so down and low uh, but I continued to live um, 
and will not really live. I continue to exist. And then uh, we moved um, from there to, that was in Azusa. We moved to a city of Altadena, which is basically on the border of Pasadena. A lot of people know Pasadena, California, from the Rose Parade and the Rose Bowl. Um, so we lived in Altadena for a while. And uh, we play, I played basketball. Um, I still play occasionally. I need to get back in shape to play the way I want to play. Uh, but um, I played basketball and my mom um, enrolled me in like the rec center basketball league. And I played and I had a good time playing. Um, but my mom has different memories of what happened then. Um, what actually happened and that was she was very irritated if we were late to the practices um she cheered um she she's she, we had my team was called the bulls and she says that she used to chant nothing charges like a bull she didn't do that um but she did clap every time i made a basket i would give her that um and so um, she, she seemed invested in my life in that sense, but not really invested in any other sense. Uh, and so, um, I felt like playing basketball was something that I could do to not only please me, cause I really love basketball, but to also get in her good graces and have something in common with her. And so, um, I played basketball. Um, and my parents argued constantly. Um, there were always things that, um, uh, my dad didn't do right or didn't do well. Um, and he thought of himself a lot. So like he focused more on his needs and not the needs of the family, which my mom did have valid arguments about. Um, there were times that I think my dad got like a $10,000 inheritance from his aunt dying and that money was gone. Like no one knows where that money went. He bought a few things for like the yard, but that money was gone. And that money certainly could have gone towards fixing things in the house or even paying the mortgage a few times. Um, but yeah, that money was gone. And, um, I don't know still to this day what he used that money for. Uh, I don't think my mom knows what that money was used for, but that house that we lived in in Altadena is also where I had some more suicide attempts. Um, I cut my wrist. Um, I still have a scar from the wrist. That's another one. I should have learned my lesson. That stuff hurts. Um, but yeah, I, I had a deep cut. I still have, I think I said that, I still have the scar going across my, uh, my arm, my wrist. And, um, I did not realize that, um, it's, it's, it's a high possibility that you didn't die, but it's not as bad as if I would have cut my carotid artery and my neck or it's kind of a slow bleeding out, um, and so I just went about like, like in the first suicide attempt, 
I just went about my day. Um, I don't think anybody, anybody noticed, um, that I had injured myself. Um, and another time I swallowed some painkillers, um, right before school I had gotten, my mom had insulted me and gone in on me and I, uh, just was like, I'm over it. I'm done. And I swallowed some painkillers. Um, this is how I know God is real because I have had all these suicide attempts, about five suicide attempts, and they were pretty major suicide attempts. Um, but I'm still here. And, um, I, I thank God for that. Um, because I think I'm as now that I'm in my thirties, I think I'm really growing into who I am. And, uh, I don't, I wouldn't have had that opportunity if, um, if I had succeeded in any of these suicide attempts. Um, but anyway, like my parents were arguing, I would do stuff to try to get in her good graces. Now she never knew I did these things, which is probably, um, why things still continue to be bad but I would like take all my dad's clothes and throw them out on the yard or um, I would take things from him that he needed and hide them uh, I would eventually give them back um, because he'd be like have you seen such and such and I'd be like no but then I would put it back and he'd be like oh there it is um, so I don't know if he necessarily knew that I was the one doing that um, I think he may have thought that my mom was doing stuff like that, like the throwing the clothes on the yard. Um, I think he probably thought my mom did that. Um, but a lot of things that my dad did when they argued was he would leave. Um, and that would make me nervous because then I would be left alone with my mom. Um, and that, that was the scariest thing to me. Um. So anyway, fast forward a few years, and um, I'm in high school, ninth grade, and I'm playing JV basketball. Um, I was supposed to go to varsity um, at the end of my ninth grade year and to begin the tenth grade, uh, but we moved to Arkansas, so I didn't get a chance to do that. Um, but anyway, I played basketball in ninth grade, and ninth grade was one of the loneliest years of my life. Um, my mom never came to a basketball game, um, right in the middle of ninth grade year is when my parents separated. Um, and my mom, like after practice, my mom was supposed to pick me up. I would be the last person to be picked up. And when I say I'd be the last person to picked up, I'm talking about like seven o'clock at night. Um, and like, so people are far gone. The janitors are there cleaning the school uh, and my mom would forget about me and not pick me up. And so, um, it's ninth grade. I don't have a car. Uh, I don't have a license. Um, uh, I was only 14 at the time. Um, and it was a lonely feeling that she never came to my games. Um, and, uh, I didn't like that. I didn't like being left alone. Um, uh, my sister was in college at this point. Um, and she would send me, this, this is how old I am. She would send me, um, uh, phone cards 
where you can like buy minutes on a card to call people. Um, I don't even know if they have these anymore. Um, but uh, basically, she would buy me phone cards so I can call her um, from the pay phones uh, and, you know, basically not be alone. I would be on the phone with her waiting for my mom to pick me up. And I have told her how much I appreciated that, but I don't know if she could fully understand how much I appreciated that she was giving me a lifeline to vent and to cry and to mourn the loss. Well, not the loss, but mourn the absence of the relationship with my mom. Um, and during this time, I would still have awake all night, um, you know, that time like not being tired, um, but still have deep, deep bouts of depression. Um, and, uh, seventh grade is actually when I had my last suicide attempt, but I was still having suicidal thoughts and suicidal ideation. Um, and ninth grade was hard. Like I said, my parents separated in the middle of ninth grade. Uh, and when my parents separated, my dad didn't know that they were separating. Um, my mom, my dad had gone to work. He worked Sundays back then. And my mom, after he had gone to church, my mom just said, pack up some stuff and we're leaving. Um, it was very hard, um, uh, simply because I had thought that they would separate years before. Um, so the fact that it was so sudden, uh, and there was like really no conversation about it, um, uh, really hurt me. Um, and of course I was sad and mourned that, uh, we moved to West Covina, which is a city east, northeast, southeast, some, some version of east of Pasadena. And we weren't allowed to contact him, uh, simply because my mom didn't want him to know where we were. And he was, she was scared that he would snatch us, um, one day. Um, and, um, she was still going in and out of the house to grab things. And then he realized that and changed the locks. And then my mom was mad about that, which I don't know why she would be mad about it. Cause she left him. Um, but that was that. So I started 10th grade in Arkansas because my mom got a, a job offer. Um, she said she couldn't find sustainable work in California, which is possible that that's true uh, because California is hard and the cost of living is really hard. Um, and uh, so we moved to Arkansas with my grandparents and we lived with my grandparents for like a year and a half. And I would say that 10th, 11th and 12th grade were some of the happiest times I've had in my life. And it's because of the presence of my grandparents. Um, my grandparents subdued my mom's reactions to things. Um, and uh, she, my grandma, ah, God, um, just, just thinking about her and my grandpa just ah, brings a heaviness to me that they're gone. Um, anyway. Um, I was signed up to play basketball, uh, my 10th grade year, 
um, but I never played. Um, and my mom always asked me, why did you not play? And I just kind of told her I didn't want to play anymore. But the real reason I didn't want to play anymore is because no one ever came to see me play. And I know you're supposed to have the, the love of the game, um, but no one really came to see me play. And um, I was upset about that. And so I quit basketball, um, like playing like in a league or at school or anything like that. Um, so that's that. That's, that's basically my childhood in a nutshell. So we're going to fast forward to adulthood um, and we're into my early 20s. So um, in my early 20s, I my symptoms of depression and hypomania was getting worse. And uh, when I was 25, I had my first hospitalization in a psych hospital. Um, due to suicidal ideation, Um, and uh, it was basically to keep me safe. Um, I am happy for that because I did have a plan in place Um, and uh, ended up going to the hospital uh, before my plan, before the time I had planned to put the plan in place. So I had planned to uh, commit suicide after the holidays because my family was visiting in California um and then I just couldn't take it anymore and uh I called my therapist and was like I'm gonna do it uh and so we I ended up getting committed into the hospital uh that was also a very lonely time um I would not say well I, I was I was gonna say I would not recommend going into the hospital but if you need to be safe going to the hospital. Um, but it's not something that, um, it's something that you like dream about going to psych hospitals are horrible. Um, I was fortunate enough to be in psych hospitals that were clean and safe. Um, I know that county and city hospitals are horrible. The conditions are deplorable. Um, you're treated horribly. Um, so I was fortunate enough to have insurance that could um, really help me get to a private hospital um, and that were that had good people in it and that would keep me safe. Um, I was officially diagnosed as bipolar when I was 26. Um, it was originally just depression at first, which was a lot of which is how a lot of diagnoses go um, because you don't have a hypomanic or manic um, situation unless you go into the hospital manic or hypomanic. Um, I went into the hospital each time depressed, but when I was diagnosed as bipolar, I had a hypomanic episode while I was there, and they were like, yes, okay, you have bipolar disorder. Um, And I think a lot of people mourn diagnosis like that I was incredibly happy because it explains a lot of what was going on in my life um, and how I felt about things Um, I never had like a really close relationship with my mom during this time Um, I still don't have a super close relationship with my mom I am in contact with her I do communicate with her but we talk about um, 
very frivolous things, um, nothing even really deep. Um, and so I, I have survived. Uh, I work hard every day to keep surviving. Um, and that's that. So that's how I became the, the, the bipolar activist. When I was about six years old, a kid told me to go back to Africa. And I didn't know what that meant, but I knew it was bad. Um, and I didn't like the way it, it made me feel. Um, and so I have had several instances like that throughout my life of racism. Um, and uh, I have had police interactions. Um, I can say that they have not gotten violent, but they have gotten escalated. Um, and uh, I'm very, very fortunate that I have not had a deadly encounter or a like wounded encounter with the police. Um, but I realized that blackness had been weaponized um, and I began to learn more and more about black history. Uh, my mom, every uh, black history month had us look down at look at stuff like roots and queen and eyes on the prize. Um, so I was very aware of activism and, um, and, uh, activism and movement in being black and how to, um, and how to fight against racism and inequality. Um, and so I began to be more active in that. Um, I am a member of the NAACP. Um, I, I do a lot of stuff, um, mostly online, um, and activism. Um, I have gone to protests before, um, and, um, I think activism is about being act, not activism is about being active, uh, duh. Um, activism is about being, but it's about pursuing justice. And, uh, I have certainly done that in my life. And, uh, wow, I'm rounding up on 30 minutes. So I'm going to wrap this up. Um, but that's a little bit about me. Um, I am broken. Um, but every day I put the pieces together and move on. Um, I think that, Life is hard, and living with a mental illness is even harder. Um, but you got to keep chugging, chugging. You got to keep going. Um, I've had some people who are instrumental in my life who has helped me be a better person and live with mental illness. Um, I won't shout them out, but they know how special they are to me. Um, I'm going to end with uh, a song. I think I'm going to play it. Hopefully this won't get taken down because of um, the, the playing the music because I'm going to actually play the song. Um, but there's a song that's gotten me through life. And it's called Warrior is a Child by Twilight Paris. And the words to me um, very... Are, are very symbolic of how I feel about life and how I feel people view me in life. And so um, the, the chorus goes, 
they don't know that I come running home when I fall down. They don't know who picks me up when no one is around. I drop my sword and cry for just a while because deep inside this armor, the warrior is a child. Um, yeah, so I'm going to play the song uh, at the end of this because I'm about to sign off. Um, and I'm going to play the song and hopefully I don't get uh, sued or anything like that for copyright infringement. Um, but that's a little bit about me uh, and I ran over time. So I will talk to you in another podcast. Peace.